morning, 10.30 service. It is so good to be with you. My name is Kelly Skiles. Like Sean said, I am one of the pastors here, and I have been looking forward to today for a long time, so it is really good to be with you. Some of you know that I grew up here in the suburbs, and I have slowly been transitioning my suburban life to a more city-focused life here at Soul City. And in the spirit of full transparency, I have some confessions for you. Are you ready? Are you ready for my confessions? Okay. Here's my first confession. Six months ago, I had never ridden in an Uber. Okay, I mean, what does Uber really even mean? I'm not sure. All I know is that now my ratings are very high, higher actually than the Chicago average, which I'm very proud of. But, um, you know, in the suburbs, you just have a car and you drive and there's parking lots and these wonderful things called parking spaces. And you just pull into it and it's not stressful. Uh, but needless to say, Uber and I have become good friends the last six months. Okay, now here's the next one, and you're going to be prone to judge me and just hold it in, okay? So I'm just warning you. Six months ago, I had never ridden the L, okay? I had had no, I, yeah, you're judging me. You're told, I told you not to, and you're judging me. Yeah, I just had no reason to do it before. And so I got a lot of coaching from the staff here. They told me about the Venture card. I did it. I went through the turnstiles. Now, I've only ridden on the blue line, okay? So I don't have any experience. If you want to give me coaching on the other lines, I've heard some stories. Um, but I uh, would love your feedback. I learned that when you're riding on the L, I should sit in the direction that the train is actually moving because it makes me sick to go the other way. But I'm working on my experience uh, on the L. My last one is, uh, in the last six months, I have visited Soho House. Pretty nice place, right? Pretty bougie, as they say here in the city. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have lived in Algonquin the last 12 years, and we have things like chilies in Algonquin, okay? <laughs> There's no really, no real Soho House um, compatible place. Uh, I hear that Justin Bieber hangs out there, and so I'm hoping to run into him sometime soon, and I'm going to invite him here to Soul City. So if you bump into Justin here, you, you know it's because I invited him, okay? I'm determined to get him here. Well, although Soul City is new to me and the city is new to me, I have actually uh, known Jeannie and Jarrett for 20 years. Uh, Jeannie spent hours with me at Starbucks talking about God and life and boys and leadership. And it was actually Jarrett uh, when I was in high school who said, Kelly, I think you have a communication gift and I think you should work on that and figure it out. And I don't know if he was right, the jury is still out, but I am grateful for their influence and discipleship in my life. You know, they actually married my husband and I almost 15 years ago, and we have a picture of that. This is the days uh, before Pinterest, <laughs> before say, say yes to the dress. Um, yes, that is real time. This is actually, true story, a scan of a, like, a physical photo, okay? <laughs> this is the real deal. Jeannie, in that picture, you can't tell. She actually had a little nose ring, total girl boss move of her. Um, but yeah, the very important people in my life, regardless of my role at Soul City. Uh, you see in that picture my husband, Mark, and we have been married almost 15 years. We're celebrating our anniversary in two weeks. Ooh, thank you, thank you for that. Yes, and we have three little kids, and I wanted to show you a picture and I, I want to show you this beautiful picture where they're all polished and looking lovely. And this is real life, right? With two almost four-year-olds and a baby, these are the best pictures you can get. So if you see something looking like that in the hallway, that is really us, okay? We're not the polished and perfect, but 
love, love, love being a part of this church. And this series has been so great this month, right, girl bosses? Uh, Jeannie and Jarrett started off a couple weeks ago talking about Priscilla and Aquila, the amazing rhyming couple, and we learned about what does it look like to truly do life and ministry together in partnership. Uh, That was a really powerful message. We looked at the life of Mary. Last week, we learned that Phoebe is not just a character from Friends, but a woman that had influence in the Bible. And today, we are looking at a most unlikely girl boss, and her name is Sarah. And in a couple minutes, we're going to talk about the fact that Sarah was actually known for waiting. Not a very bossy characteristic, right, When when you look at it. At first glance, she wasn't a queen like Esther who risked her life to save people or a prophet or a judge like Deborah. She was known for her faithfulness to God as she waited for him to answer her prayer. So just a quick poll here. How many of you like to wait? Anyone? Like you pray for traffic. Okay, I saw, I saw one hand. Okay, that's one person so far out of two services. Uh, Mark was at a doctor's appointment a couple weeks ago, and he waited an hour and 15 minutes past the allotted appointment time, and then he just gave up and said, I am done. I cannot wait anymore. We hate to wait, don't we? I hate to wait. When I order something online that isn't Amazon Prime, and it takes like a full seven days to get to my house, I'm disgusted. I'm like, really? Like, are there carrier pigeons delivering this package? Are they praying over it? Why is it taking this long in this day and age? What is going on? Uh, You know, about every six to 12 months, I'll decide I need to go on a diet, and I go all in. I'm like, okay, vegetables, fruit. I'm going to actually limit my chocolate consumption, which is something I don't typically do. I eat things like sweet potatoes for dinner. Like, that's my dinner. Um, And after two days, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've lost half my body weight by now. And I'm going to be really encouraged. And I get on the scale and nothing. Apparently, weight loss actually requires waiting too. (laughs) You know, according to a recent Washington Post article, get this, Altogether, people will spend one to two years of their life waiting in a line of some sort. Can you believe that? One to two years. Maybe it's at Six Flags, you know, waiting for the raging bull, or maybe it's at a doctor's or a dentist's office, but one to two years. And in this article, they told the story of a building in Manhattan in the 1950s. The tenants complained of excessively long waits for the elevator. They would wait for the elevator to go up to work, to go down to lunch break, to, go, to leave home at the end of the day. So the owner was desperate to keep all the tenants of the building. And so he brainstormed with the staff, like, what can we do? And the building engineers came back and said, that is as fast as this elevator is going to go. There's nothing we can do. So one staff guy had an idea. He said, what if we install floor-to-ceiling mirrors so that while people wait, they can look at themselves and look at each other. They're our favorite topic, right? Let me just spend some more time reflecting on myself and how I look in these people around you. And kid you not, the complaints went down to nearly zero. The wait time was exactly the same, but because people got to reflect on themselves, it didn't feel so bad. Well, uh, most of us hate to wait, right? We hate to wait, and it can feel pointless. And this morning, we're going to be reminded that even in our seasons of waiting, God has not forgotten us. 
and he is always on the move in ways that we cannot see. Well, that brings us to our girl boss today, Sarah the Waiter. That's just my nickname that I gave her. That's not her real name. Um, and I want to invite you to actually turn to your Bible underneath your seat or around you. We are going to open up to the book of Genesis on page 13. We're going to look at Genesis 18, 9 through 14. And we will get there in a moment. But before we do, allow me to give you some backstory about Abram and Sarai. So they were a married couple that had one big problem. Sarai couldn't get pregnant. And these were the days that heirs and inheritances were of utmost importance, and she couldn't do it. And she was ashamed and felt despair over this unanswered prayer. And not unlike today, this is news that no one wants to get. And I know that some of you are sitting here today knowing what it feels like to just want a baby and instead feeling like everyone around you is just randomly getting pregnant without even thinking about it. Well, one day in a vision, even though Abram and Sarai couldn't get pregnant, God comes to them and he tells Abram that he is going to have a son. And he actually changes Abram's name to Abraham. uh, In biblical times, names were very important. They're very important today, too. But I would say even more in biblical times. So he changes his name to Abraham, which means a father of many nations. And he also changes Sarah's name. And he names Sarai's name to Sarah and names her the mother of many nations and prophesies that actually kings will be birthed through Sarah. Now, the story seems simple up until this point, uh, but Sarah decides she needs to take matters into her own hands because she really wants a baby. God has said she's going to have a baby, but nothing is happening. So she has a plan. They need to have a child, and even though God hasn't come through yet, she is going to make it happen. So she has this servant named Hagar, and she arranges for her servant Hagar and her husband Abraham to sleep together so that she can have a child, which is customary of the day. Now, I don't know what Abraham was thinking. If, uh, you know, Sarah came to him, was like, I have this idea, and without a lot of deliberation, he's like, okay, if you say so, I will do it. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know where his friends were that didn't raise their hand and say, "Uh, this doesn't seem like a very good idea. I advise you to not actually go with the advice of your wife. Uh, But the depths that we we are willing to go to to avoid waiting, right? The things that we are willing to do to avoid our own pain. And obviously, this doesn't seem like a good idea to any of us now, but Sarah must have been in such a desperate place that she thought, okay, this is the best idea I can come up with. Well, as you can imagine, this plan doesn't go very well, okay? Hagar does get pregnant, and she gives birth to a son whom they name Ishmael, But instantly, Sarah is jealous, and she hates her and despises her. Their relationship is now totally broken off, and actually, Hagar runs away. But uh, the story doesn't end there. And in a very godlike and redemptive fashion, we pick up the story in Genesis 18, 9 through 14. So let's look at what it says there. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. 
Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Okay, translation in the Kelly Skiles version, I'm tired and he's old, are you kidding me? Like, is this really gonna work? This is your plan? Is this really gonna happen? And then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do you hear that in verse 14? Underline that, circle that, star that, bold that. Some of you came to church just for that phrase today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Because sometimes we wanna put things on him, right? Like, oh God, I'm gonna give you this prayer, but I bet it's not gonna happen. I'm gonna give you this prayer, but it's just too hard. I'm gonna give you this prayer, but it's not really possible. And God says, oh no, Sarah, really? Why, why did you laugh? Do you think anything is too hard for me? Do you think anything is too big for me? It's not. The answer is no, because we put our earthly and human limitations on what's possible, don't we? But his power is limitless, and he can cause unheard events of to occur. You know, in the midst of Sarah's foolishness, God's plan was faithfulness to her. Now, if you skip ahead to Genesis 21, um, page 15, it says this, Genesis 21, 1 to 3. This is the fulfillment of, of the promise that God had given Abraham. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. I'm going to just take in that line. He did for Sarah what he had promised. He came through. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Now here's what they couldn't see and what God could see. Jesus was actually born through this line, through this family, through this woman who was barren and couldn't have children. She truly became the mother of nations, the mother of kings, namely King Jesus. Now, if you think that you have been waiting for a long time, let's just put this in perspective here. Now, I don't know how old Sarah was when they wanted to have a baby. Let's just say, she was 30, which would have been very old in biblical times to want to have a child. She didn't give birth until she was 90. That's six decades of waiting. Six decades of waiting. I don't know how long you have been waiting for something in your life, but this is six decades of waiting and wondering and hoping if God would really come through, if he would really hold to his word and to his promise. And you know, uh, like Sarah, I personally can remember what it felt like to make the decision to stop waiting. Mark and I got married when I was young. He was not as young, but I was young right after college. And uh, we decided that we wanted to do the young couple thing. You know, we wanted to not have any responsibilities or inhibitions, and so we did things like travel, and, and we spent too much money eating out, and we eventually bought a house. And after what was longer than I had thought we were gonna wait, um, we were ready to start trying to have a baby. 
Now, I am a reasonable person. I typically like, you know, if I want to set my mind out to do something, I want to do it right there and then. So my like typical human mind would have wanted to have a baby within the first month of us wanting to have a baby. But I told you that I'm reasonable. So I made this deal with God. Now he didn't make it with me, but I made it with him. And the deal was this. I think three or four months, I'm willing to do that. For I am willing, fine. If it takes three or four months, Lord, I am willing to do that um, because I'm a reasonable person. And uh, three and four months went by and nothing. And two more months went by and nothing. And another month came and went and another month and another month. And I went from buying the $12 expensive Walgreens pregnancy tests to the uh, Dollar Tree buy them in bulk pregnancy <laughs> tests because I was taking them so often and just hoping for the plus sign, hoping for the positive. And after months and months of waiting, I was like, really, God? This is going to be a struggle? Like, all my friends, they know, they, they know what this looks like. They just, you know, they want to get married and they have a baby, and then they have a baby, and it's not hard. Have I not been through enough hard things, God? These are some of the things that, have I not done enough hard things, and now this is going to be hard too? Really? Have you forgotten us? Have you not heard what we're praying about, what we're crying about, what we're trying to wrestle, you with, wrestle with you with? Uh, it was a hard season of waiting, and I have to tell you that the months that went by uh, felt like years. And you know the end of the story. You saw the crazy picture. Our waiting did come to an end uh, a couple years ago when our boys were born. But those months felt like years of wondering, when is it going to be our turn? You know, when we see what everyone else has, all we can see is what we want. And that's what happened to me. I'd be scrolling on social media, looking at all these adorable children, thinking, I don't want to see one more cute kid. I think I'm going to block all the people with cute kids. <laughs> I, I, it just reminds me that they have something that I want that I don't have. Uh, and when we see, and it seems like, too, at the same time, everyone has what they want, right? And we're just stuck waiting and wondering, when will it be our turn? Now, Sarah's experience of waiting 60 years for a baby was unique. But to be human is to have to wait, right? This is just part of the deal. And you can comb through the scriptures from beginning to end and see characters in every book of the Bible who are waiting for something. Noah waited for the flood to be over on an ark with animals. That's unique waiting, right? Anyone done that before? Uh, Joseph waits in prison over a crime he didn't even commit. That's a desperate type of waiting. Jacob waits and works for the true love of his life, Rebecca. The Israelites wait in Egypt to be freed from Pharaoh, and then once they get out, you know what happens. They wait longer, 40 years to be exact, in the desert. Mary and Martha wonder and wait if Jesus will come and raise Lazarus from the dead. Is there any part of you this morning that can relate to Sarah? Any part of you that is foggy on something or just waiting and wondering for what God is going to do, for how he's going to resolve this tension that you sit in and your story? 
You know, we believe here at Soul City in the power of transformation, that God does not want any of us to stay the same. And I believe that waiting is one of God's best transformational tools. But I hate even saying it out loud if I'm totally honest. Um, God uses our waiting to shape us and form us into who he has called us to be. And when we're in a hurry, God actually is in no hurry. And the scriptures say that he is slow at going about things and that he has a plan and a purpose for everything. God doesn't force us to wait because he doesn't want us to have what we want. He forces us to wait because he knows what we need. And he knows that that's when our faith is really formed in the midst of every circumstance, not just when we're here and get caught up in worship and can just think about the good in our lives, but also when we're sitting in the in-between of our lives and wrestling with the question of, God, are you still here? God, do you hear me? God, are you still good? So I want to ask you this morning, where are you in the waiting room of your life? You know, in my last six months here at Soul City, I have sat with uh, more people than I can count on two hands who are waiting for a spouse, who are waiting for a partner, people that are doing everything they know how to do to love God, to follow him, to serve him, and they keep just going on bad dates. And uh, they're looking around at their friends getting married and being bridesmaids and wondering, when is it my turn? God, when are you going to hear me and answer my prayer? There's others of you that I have sat with who are waiting for the right job. You're waiting for the right career. And I know there's some of you that 40 hours a week and more, you spend doing something that you don't like, that you don't enjoy, and you know that you have gifts and passions and talents that are not being utilized where you're at. And you're going on interviews, and you're doing everything you know how to do. And yet you haven't gotten that call yet from the HR person who has said, hey, the job is yours. Start tomorrow. At our last service, I met a woman who's been waiting for six years, six years for the right job, for the right role. She's just still in the waiting room. Others of you just have dreams and visions and plans. I have a friend, her dream is to live overseas, and she, she really thinks that's where God wants her, and for whatever reason, it's not happening. Maybe you're waiting to finish school. I'm in that bucket with you, right? Just waiting to be done with homework. So when all of your friends are going out and living life, you're not behind a computer screen, that you are in it with them. Whatever you find yourself this morning, I am convinced that God does not waste our waiting. That he's not looking down at us saying, I told you so, or just six more months, or you got it wrong, so now I'm gonna make you wait longer. That's actually not the voice of God. Let's be very clear about that. God works while we wait, and he waits while we work. And in this season of waiting that you're in, if you're thinking that God is out on a lunch break, you are mistaken. He is there. He is, not, uh, he is attentive and near and working on our behalf in ways that we cannot even take in and comprehend. You know, we have a choice when it comes to our waiting. We can choose to be angry and to throw our fists up at God and feel defeated, but I think today God is saying to us, don't waste your waiting. 
Sarah almost destroyed this invitation to see God fulfill this promise when she continued to take back control. She didn't do it all perfectly. But I believe God is saying, don't look for the shortcut. Don't look for the fast track. Don't take this as a cue for you to figure out your own plan and go your own way. Don't waste your waiting. Do you want to know what the first step is to not wasting your waiting? It's realizing that it's not up to you. It's not up to you. Now, we may want to fool ourselves, like I did, right, about my time limit with God. Like, hey, God, let's make a deal, three months. But we aren't ultimately in control. And I hate even saying it out loud. It's uncomfortable. I want to believe all those scrollable Instagram quotes that say, you're, you're the architect of your own destiny. Like, yes, that's what I want to believe. And there is a part of that that's true because we have choice. But for those of us who have said, God, I am yours, my heart is yours, and my life is yours, we submit that the control and the authority of our lives is to God and to God alone. Amen, right? To God and to God alone. We don't get to put time frames on him. Jeannie talked about this just two weeks ago, that psychologists have pointed out control is one of the things that we most want in life. Don't waste your waiting on fighting for control of your life if you know that ultimately it's God's. You know, waiting is a very clear reminder of what author John Ortberg says, there is a God and it is not me. There is a God and it is not me. Amen, right? Because we can make ourselves our own little gods and waiting is just another sign that actually, no, your life is not yours. There is a God and it is not you. Can you imagine what we would be like if we just instantly received every prayer we prayed for? Oh my goodness, I do not want to imagine myself. Uh, God would turn into some kind of vending machine. Uh, but when we have the courage to acknowledge our desire and realize that the, the time frame is not up to us, that is the first sign that we are ready to put our white flag up in the air and say, okay, I surrender. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. That's actually a passage from Isaiah that when I am in my healthiest frame of mind, when I am ready to surrender control, that are the words that I say out loud to God. Your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. Now, once you realize uh, that it's not up to you, a question that we can ask ourselves is, what can you do? What can you do? Because there are things that you can do. If you're thinking that God wants you to just chill, to just put things on hold until this great answer to prayer is revealed, you're wrong. It's just not the case. There is life to be lived while we wait, and there is work to be done. Waiting can be passive, like sitting in a chair in a waiting room or just scrolling on your phone, but it doesn't have to be. It can be very active. I had a friend whose marriage ended abruptly without any warning. And uh, as we were talking about it one day on the phone, he didn't know what was going to happen to his marriage. They were kind of in the middle of it. He said, you know what, I've decided while I'm waiting, while I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen with my marriage, I'm going to go to counseling for the first time. And I want to figure out all these family issues that people have brought up to me before, things that I have felt bubbling up in the surface, but I have just never taken the time to do it. So while I wait, this is the work that I'm going to choose to do. And I was like, really? Wow. I admire that. Someone that's just not waiting back for God to do things, but says, no, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to ask God, what do you want me to do while I'm waiting? 
Now the last thing uh, that we can do when we're in waiting is by realizing this, God will come through. God will come through. You know, there's this section in the Bible called the Faith Hall of Fame that I learned about when I was in junior high. It's in Hebrews 11. I even remember we had a little bookmark that I had in my Bible with all the people listed out in the Faith Hall of Fame. And the only woman listed in the Faith Hall of Fame is Sarah. And I would love to read to you from Hebrews 11, 11 through 12. It says this, And by faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he was good as dead, I think it's a little biblical humor in there, um, from the writer of Hebrews, poor Abraham, he's just getting tossed underneath the bus, uh, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Do you notice why she was in the Faith Hall of Fame? because she considered God faithful, who had made the promise. She wasn't in the Hall of Fame for how many mountains she had climbed or how many awards she had won. She was in it for considering God faithful by trusting that he was gonna keep his word. Now, she didn't do it perfectly, did she? No, she, she, she went off the rails a little bit. But you know what? She didn't go so far off that God couldn't bring her back. She didn't go so far off that God was like, I'm going to punish you now and you're not going to get the promise. He still came through with the promise. And I know I don't get it right all the time in my waiting. There's times where I go off the rails too. And I trust and believe that God still comes through on his faithfulness, that he still comes through on his promise. You know, maybe you are so deep in your waiting today. Maybe it has been month after month or year after year and you have forgotten about God's faithfulness because you have been so up close and personal with this one thing that you are just hoping for and waiting for. You've been so zeroed in on it. I want to remind you that God's faithful, and I want to remind you of God's question to Sarah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. No diagnosis, no relational breakdown, no desperate situation. He is on a mission to restore and redeem and bring healing and wholeness and make all things new. And one of the ways that he does that is through your waiting. Whether you can believe that right now or whether you need to borrow hope from someone. You can borrow it from me if you need to. You know, one of my friends early on told me uh, that what Christians do for one another is they don't rescue each other from hard things because we're all going to have a lot of hard things. Unfortunately, this is part of life. What we do for one another is that when we feel like we're on the surgery table of life and God just has us cut open and we feel vulnerable and open or maybe alone or afraid, the best friends that we have are people that hold our hands while we're on the table and say, stay on the table. Stay on. They're not the people that are trying to stitch you up or pull you off that table so God can't do the work. They're the people saying, no, 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 stay on and I'll stay with you as you wait. And that's what we want to do and that's what we want to be about. But this whole waiting thing, I have to tell you, it's complicated. It's really complicated. 
I wish I could just tell you, just wait and do these three easy steps and then whatever you're waiting for will secretly arrive at your door at 10 a.m. on Saturday if you just do one, two, and three. But I know that you don't believe that and I don't believe that because that's just not the way that God works, right? He's mysterious. And sometimes we wait and we do everything we know how to do and God answers our prayer in the exact way we're hoping for. Ever heard stories of people that need specific amounts of money and then that exact amount of money ends up in their mailbox? Like that is, that, that stuff is real. That's specific answers to prayer that God answers while people are waiting. But then there's other things where we wait and we do everything that we know how to do and yet God seems silent, or he doesn't answer it the way that we had hoped for. And that is the crux of waiting, right? And we trust and believe that regardless of the outcome, that God is working in us, that he is transforming us. For those of us who identify with Christ, this is what we have signed up for, that we become less and less about what we want and more and more about who God is and what he wants for us. You know, it's been my experience and my waiting that as I have prayed for certain specific things, that over time, God has slowly helped me open my tight grasp on what exactly I want and actually invited me to align my desires with his desires. That's a totally, that's a game changer, right? That as we bring things to God, as we surrender things to him, he even changes what we want. He changes what we pray for. And I trust and believe that God does that for us while we wait. He's challenging us. He's transforming us miraculously and mysteriously behind the scenes. He is not wasting our waiting. Well, I wish I could just give a sermon about all my past waiting and then say, but now I don't wait for anything anymore. You know, I just pray for things and they happen. Uh, but what's true is that for me and my family, we have been in a six-month season of waiting. And, uh, you know, we started here at Soul City almost seven months ago. We've been trying to move our lives closer to the city, and we have not lived in our own house for over six months. And... Uh, last week, I had had it. I was done with the waiting, and I like threw up my hands to God, and I did what I only knew to do, and that was to reach out to our prayer team. And I proudly put my name on that prayer request and said, listen, prayer team, I'm done with this. I'm done with this waiting. Please pray that my house will be done tomorrow so that we can move in. And uh, graciously, one of the prayer team members sent me an email, or sent me a text, actually. And here's what he wrote in the text. He said, I'm praying for your family in this transition. I know how hard it can be, but it will soon be a distant memory. Keep waiting on the Lord, simple words, but amazing in practice. And I wanted to say, yeah, I know. I'm working on a sermon about waiting. You don't need to tell me that I need to wait on the Lord, okay? That's my unfiltered, sassy version. That was really what was happening inside of me. But once I got past that and I let his words sink inside of me, I thought, yes, this is hard. Indeed, this is hard. And other people have different type of waiting, but this waiting for us in particular right now is hard. And yes, keep waiting. And I want to say to you in particular today, if you are waiting, it is hard. It is hard. 
don't think that you need to be super spiritual and deny the fact that it's hard. That's just untruth. I don't buy it and other people don't buy it, right? Um, and God knows that it's hard too. He's not looking at you thinking like, oh, just more pain. I just want turn up the pain meter. That's not God, right? That's what we th- I think about that for myself. You know, that's not the voice of God. And I also want to tell you, keep going. Stay on the table. Stay on the table. Ask people to hold your hand in the waiting. Keep waiting. Don't waste it. And remind yourself that God will come through. You know, some of you today maybe are not in a season of waiting, but you know other people who are. And they need you to hold their hand and to look in their eyes and say, I know this has been hard and I am with you and you are not waiting alone. We are waiting on God together because that's the type of community we want to be here, right? We don't want to be these quick fix type of people that are just like, oh, sorry, that sounds hard. Have a great day. No, we want to look one another in the eye and say, I, am so, I know that that has been a desire of yours for a long time. I know that you have been wrestling with that. I know that you are confused, that you don't know where God is in this with you. And I want to look at you and say, I am with you in this, that God will come through because he has come through for us in the past, right? He has come through for us today and we trust that he will in the future even when we can't see it. And you know, this community of people here, we don't want to be just people that come to church on Sundays and then um, just go to brunch. We want to be a group of people who invite God to actively work in our lives. And we do that through homework. So I want to give you some homework this week. I want you to go digging and looking for God's faithfulness in your life because it's there. And God doesn't have to manufacture faithfulness. It's who he is in his being. He is faithfulness. And so if we look back to the last week or last year or last five years, we will see where God has been faithful to us. So that is what I want you to do this week. Right now, I want to invite you to stand. And I want to read Psalm 40 over you. And you know, I'm aware that as we're talking about us this morning, waiting on God, how often he waits for us. He has waited a long time for some of us, right? And he has been patient and kind. You know, if you've never read the Psalms before, the Psalms are this very authentic book of laments and joyful shouts and people who were waiting. And so I want invite you to close your eyes and I want to read this psalm over you. This is Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And God, that is our prayer, that many people would come to see and know you, that we would be people who trust in you. And God, for my friends like me today who are in the midst of waiting right now, would you remind them that you are walking beside them, that you have not forgotten them, that you are not wasting their waiting, that you are good and kind, that you have been faithful, and that you will continue to be faithful 
even when we cannot see it, God. Our feet are firmly planted in that truth. And we cling to you as our God who we love and who is in full control and full authority of our lives. Amen.